Hey guys, we want you to stay standing for a minute. We're going to introduce our good friends, Matt and Bryn Rice. Uh, how many of you guys know Matt and Bryn? You've been around long enough that you know Matt and Bryn. How, how, couple of you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we knew Matt and Bryn when they were youth pastors. And now they had their first grandbaby last year, and their second one is on the way, which is really, really cool. Now, when you look at Bryn, you go, how in the world is she a grandmother? And it's a true story. Well, when you look at Matt, you say, oh. <laughs> and these, Don't you like how that works, Matt? <laughs> these guys have been our friends for many years, mm-hmm. and we have watched them endure hardness as good soldiers of Christ. We've watched them lift the name of Jesus up. Uh, all over the world uh, in missions and in local church work. Um, They're standing at the precipice of another door opening for them, which we're praying for them, and just knowing that God, whatever God has for you, wherever God takes you, is good for the world. Yes. And so we're also praying that it will be good for your souls wherever God has you, right? And so you have not heard the word of God um, like this before. If you've never heard Matt preach, just because every human being brings it different. Mm -hmm. And then we hope that Bryn will lead us in a moment of worship at the end of that message because you've never been led in worship Mm -hmm. like Bryn leads in worship either because they're both just very uniquely and wonderfully made like the rest of us. Amen. Mm -hmm. And so just open your hearts and say, God, I want to see you through these awesome people that have been able to stay friends with Scott and Claire for so many years and and haven't given up on them. So let's welcome Matt and Brad. Thank you. You You can be seated. Brent, come on up here and just say hi. It helps. (laughs) She's definitely the best, um, you know, the better half, if you will. So, um, Go ahead. And oh. Well, we're just excited to be here. Uh, like Pastor Claire said, we've known each other for over 20 years now. 24, actually, because I was pregnant with Jordan when we met. Um, so they've been faithful friends. You all have amazing pastors, as you know. Yes. And uh, some of the best people, literally some of the best people on the planet. So we're thrilled to be here this morning um, to bring the word to you. I know that um, Pastor Matt's been talking to me and sharing uh, what he has on his heart, and it's really, it's it's good stuff. You're going to be blessed today. So thank you for ha- allowing us to be here with you, and just pray all God's richest blessings on all of you. Amen. All right, and it's, how many know it's great to have great friends? And um, can you give another hand to your pastors? And we so love them. And again, it has been a long time, and... Um, you know, I appreciate that everyone felt like I do look like a grandfather. I appreciate that. Um, but uh, we are excited. And again, as Bryn mentioned, yeah, the first time we were here, they, our firstborn uh, was getting ready to be born. And it doesn't seem like that long ago. And where's Don at? Where's Don at? Oh, there he is. Don looks the same. I don't know what he, water he's drinking. It's because our eyesight is going bad at this time. Yeah, it could be. That could be it. So we're glad to be here today. And how many love the Lord today? How many love Jesus? I'm excited to uh, kind of jump into your series on the helmet of salvation. I use this mic because sometimes I get a little louder sometimes so I can, I can do this and adjust it. Uh, but let's look at uh, the scriptures. And um, did we read the scriptures? Do we? We didn't? Yes. Give it up for Christine. Come forward and read our scriptures for us. 
small print. I'll read from over here. (laughs) Okay, the scripture is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. And it reads as follows. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation." And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. Amen. I think we have one more passage up there. Is that in there, the Mark passage? No? Oh, okay. And Mark 8, 32, 32 through 30. Hmm. Anyway, then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And when he was restored and saw everyone clearly, then he sent him away to his house, saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we ask God that you would anoint Uh, the speaking, the preaching, the teaching of that word today. We receive with meekness an engrafted word. God, which, as your word says, saves our souls, illuminates our minds, and empowers us, God, for what's next. In the name of Jesus. Everybody said? I'm one one of those, uh, you know, feedback preachers. So uh, somebody say amen, amen just to make me feel good. All right. Um, you know, when I think about the helmet of salvation in the whole armor of God, I think about superheroes. How many of you are that superficious that, you know, you think of superheroes? And uh, how many grew up on the Marvel comic books and the DC comic books and you love the, the movies, all of them that come out? So I uh, think about that. And when I think about that, I think of our uh, story of our youngest, uh, who's now 17. And uh, he was about three or four at the time. It was like a perfect spring day, and it was sunny, it was bright, people were mowing their lawns at our parents' house. And I looked outside, and here was our little guy, you know, three or four, running around the yard, chasing his sister, two years older than him, in his underoos. 
Now, how many remember underoos, right? And so he's chasing him around in his underoos and, uh, you know, which was not a huge problem other than the fact that, you know, the underpants were on his head. And so that was the first problem. And so I went outside because you can see neighbors looking and who's watching, the, whose children are these? I can hear children's services coming. I, I know this is a bad situation. So I, I walk out and he's chasing his sister around. He's doing this thing. He's going like this. And I'm like, buddy, buddy, what's going on? He looked around and, and he, he did this to me. I said, what do you do? He shot a web at me. And so I said, what are you doing? And he said, me Spider-Man. And then he shot another web to kind of hush me up. And so, you know, we got him inside, we got him clothed, and we got the situation under control. Uh, but, it, but it got me thinking about the fact that, you know, when we come into this world, we come with great expectations, don't we? You know, for children, Iron Man, Batman, Black Panther, you know, these are not fantasy creatures. These are viable career options when you're three years old. It's only when we go through enough life that finally we start to believe that we cannot make a difference in our life. And so today I want to talk to those uh, here that when we talk about this armor of God, we put on the armor of God to truly make a mission difference in our world. Amen? And so let's look at that today. I'm going to give you a few principles from this passage, and then I'm going to jump over to the John passage and preach kind of what's on my heart. Uh, Some essential truths from this Ephesians passage that Paul writes to the church. Number one is this. There are some things in our life that are worth fighting for, worth standing for. You'll notice that Paul wrote and he said, all of this armor is for the purpose of what? Not surviving, but standing. And so we are not called as believers merely to live defensively. We are called to put on God's armor so that we can go forward offensively and make a difference in our world. Amen? Now, why would I share this at the beginning? Because some of us, because we're just weary, have stopped fighting for things that matter. Um, I've preached for 30 years. I've traveled and preached. I've pastored. And I can tell you one of the things that believers struggle with all over this world is is learning how to keep their strength in fighting for things that matter. As parents, sometimes we can be worn down and we can find ourselves merely praying to survive rather than taking a stand. In our careers, many times we can be so wounded that we find ourselves merely trying to survive rather than seeing that God has a purpose here beyond me merely surviving a storm. He wants me creatively and intuitively and with power to make a difference in my world. So somebody say this today. Say, there are some things worth fighting for. Second principle is this. We are in a battle against very real spiritual forces. How many of you realize there is a world beyond this world? And Paul says... You need to know that you are not fighting against your boss, against a spouse. You're not fighting against an unhappy neighbor. You are fighting against very spiritual, real spiritual forces. Thirdly, our minds are the battlefield. Everybody say our minds are the battlefield. Now, I want to make this point because this is so important to understand. Though we fight spiritual forces... We fight for 
the terrain, if you will, of our thinking. So the enemy is really after one thing. Whether it's sickness that comes in an attack. A financial situation that the enemy will use to attack you with. It's not about the finances. It's not about the sickness. It's about your mind. If, if it is a relational difficulty, whatever it is, spiritual forces have come to fight for our minds. The passage, Paul said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against, everybody say, the wiles. That's the New King James Version, the wiles. Uh, of the devil. That word wiles literally means translated from a Greek word methodos, which means with a road. With a road, a well worn, hardened path. And so the way that the enemy works against our lives is he wants to build well worn, hardened paths, ways of thinking, and patterns of defeat. It's a spiritual battle, but it is a natural battle in our minds. The next principle I'll bring out is this. The enemy fights ruthlessly for our mind because he is afraid you and I will see and become who we are. He fights against our minds to keep us from seeing and becoming who we have been created to be in Christ Jesus. It's never about the thing. It is always about the enemy wanting to keep us from becoming who we've been created to be in Jesus. Romans 8.29 says, Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. We have a lot of talk about what am I destined to do? Really, the better question is what am I destined to become? I prayed for people over 30 years and and one of the number one things you pray for, pray for me that God will show me what I'm called to do. And I learned that the best thing that I could pray is, Lord, teach them to perceive and discern the person they're called to be, which you've already made them to be through this born again experience. I believe that if we take care of our character, that our character will lead us into the places that God has for us. Those who learn to become who they they are called to be will eventually do what they're called to do. I got to hurry. I'm being disciplined. We become who we are. Let me back up. First John 3, I want to show you this. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. How many of you have, uh, you know, when you preach a long time, you come through a lot of movements, and there was a whole spiritual warfare movement that kind of became spiritual warfare mania. And, and you had people throwing invisible spears at demons and all types of crazy services and... And we finally learned that the greatest spiritual warfare that you and I can walk in is becoming like Jesus. 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested. That he might destroy the works of the devil. So that 
spiritual warfare is really when I hear God's voice and become like Jesus in whatever arena that I am in. If I want to fight spiritual warfare in my marriage, how many, all the men said amen. You don't want to fight your wife. How many know you're not going to win that one anyways, but you want to fight a battle you can win, but is the more I become like Jesus in this relationship, up out of this new nature, that begins to destroy the works of the enemy in a marriage. If I want to fight spiritually in my career, my position, in my relationships, we are too often wanting to look at what is wrong with the situation rather than coming before God and saying, God, what is it that you're trying to do in me? While I am going through what I am going through. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right. So I want to talk about, and what I got, I got 15 minutes. Good. I'm right where I wanted to be. Every preacher has a place they want to be, but you, but you got to kind of set it up. So you become who you are when you get comfortable in your helmet of salvation. And when I talk about the helmet of salvation, I'm talking about something you put on up out of the nature of Christ in you. The way you respond to things that offend you. The way you respond to old fears that before that moment in life have been well-worn paths that have created situations that you always run in this situation. But in this season, God is saying, I want to break those old paths and and create within you an ability you can draw out of the wells of the nature of Jesus, his strength, his empowerment, his nature, his character, and draw up out of his presence and put that on your mind. Somebody say amen. How do we draw that out? We see it. I heard, you know, I've heard people over the years say, here's the mark of maturity. The mark of maturity is this or that or chronological age. Can I tell you the number one, I believe, mark of maturity of a man or a woman is a refined perspective. Mature people see things differently than people who are not as mature. And so when God begins, when he brings us to him, we are born again in a moment. But I want to be more than born again. I want to be refined in my character where I'm not looking at this storm the same way I looked at this type of storm last year. Am I talking to anybody? I'm a Pentecostal preacher, so I just got to preach to you today. I want to encourage somebody today. Where you were last year is not where you have to be today. And if you'll learn to crawl into the presence of God and get into the word of God, God will be able to build a perspective in your mind save you from old paths of thinking and bring you to the place where you put on a helmet of salvation and see opportunity where you used to see defeat and see, listen, healing where you used to see sickness and see power where you used to see, you know, a disempowering thing in your life. Come on, somebody. Just say amen. You'd feel better if you do it. Somebody wave your hands at me a little bit here today. Somebody say amen. All right, so... So everybody say, our minds change when we see like him. That's why Paul prayed at the beginning of this epistle, 
The eyes of your understanding. I pray that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may know the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory, the inheritance of the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of your power to those who believe? And so the the key, how many of you would like to, to grow in God in a way that you've never grown before? Come on, how many of you husbands would love, you know, to uh, be <laughs> experience heaven on earth in your marriage in a way you've never experienced it before? How many wives would say, I'd, I'd like that too. I pray for them that that would occur. All right, so everybody say, I've got to see something. Now I'm going to go to John chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 8. And I'm just going to kind of bring out some uh, principles from this passage. Because I believe that this passage shows us. How Jesus opens our eyes to see new things. The first thing in this passage I I see is this. Number one, when Jesus opens our eyes to see, he often first leads us out of town. Somebody just go, "Mm mm-hmm. Somebody say, mm, that sounds good. The scripture says he came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand, interesting, and led him out of town. Is that interesting to anyone else? He comes into a town. They have heard of his reputation to heal blindness. They bring him a blind man expecting that Jesus will do what he's always done, heal the blind man in that moment. Jesus said, can, can you walk with me? He's still blind, right? He's blind. Jesus takes him and walks him out of town. Because sometimes in order for you to see something that you've never seen before, God's got to take you to a place you've never been before. Somebody say amen. See, because back in town, stay right there. Just stand right there. Back in town, they, they are comfortable with your blindness. Back in town, they've learned to rely on your blindness. There are a whole lot of people that are really uh, accepting of where you are in the moment. Because if you ever moved out of that moment, it challenges their dysfunction. It challenges what they have gotten used to you being. So they want to keep you in town. Somebody say amen. Amen. <laughs> The other thing about this town is you've heard your entire life in this way of thinking that you can't rise above this limitation. You will always be blind. You will always be dysfunctional. You will never know how to have a relationship that is healthy. You'll never be able to break those things in your marriage. You're Irish. You're Catholic. You're whatever you are. Whatever that background is with with the limitations that people place it on our minds. If we stay in that place... How many know what I'm talking about? You've just said to somebody, I'm not in that place anymore. It's not a geographical place. It's a mental real estate. And the kingdom of God is often limited. Watch the cross. By what? I don't have to deal with these things. Uh, we're, we're, it's, it's good. We'll keep it there. That preacher knocked down the cross and I couldn't hear anything else he said. <laughs> Sometimes in order to see something you've never seen, you've got to get let God lead you out of some old toxic relationships, out of some old toxic habits, 
some places where your spirit is dying because that environment is killing what God wants to build in your soul. Somebody say amen if you believe that today. And when we talk about putting on the helmet of salvation, you can't put it on sometimes in an old place because you got to let God lead you now. Oh, I'm running out of time. All right, listen. Well, yeah, watch this. Yes, he says, get out of town. Get out of town to the next point. All right, watch this. I just want to bring this up because I was reading this passage this week and it jumped out at me. Notice that Jesus took his hand. How many of you love that Jesus didn't stand back at a distance and say, I need you to come to me? Because when we talk about transformation, it is the lion and the lamb that brings us to places of change in our life. There is a God that, thank God, he's a God of power and a God of strength and a God that speaks and worlds are created by the power of his voice. But when it comes to changing his children, that same God will come off of his throne and come and gently grab our hand and say, let let me lead you. I know you can't see it yet. I know you don't know where to go. I know you don't know your way out of this challenge in your life, but let me lead you to a place where I'm getting ready to do something that's going to absolutely blow your mind. Somebody give God praise if you believe that today. But I want you to see this. He led him. Which means this man had to do something. He had to walk. So when we talk about God taking us to a new place, it's one thing for God to grab our hand. But we've also got to let him move our feet. Our decisions sometimes are the key to the next stage of our freedom. Thank you. Thank you. All right. I can... Number two. Number two. Oh. You're going to be, I'm not going to, well, he's get, he'll get nervous on this if he thinks he's still being used as the illustration. <laughs> next thing Jesus did was he spit in the eye. Stand up, brother. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So how many of you have done uh, Ancestry.com? How many have done 23andMe? How many, just like three or four of us? I'm from an Appalachian family, and all we care about is where we came from. My mom's done every test as if one, you know, we had to check them against each other. So, but it's amazing the amount of money that is being made on people wanting to find out who they are. The latest 23andMe, which I went ahead and did because my mom forced it upon me as if she'd find out something new about her genetics by having her son take the test. But so when when I took this test and I, I sent it in, they didn't want to know my perspective of my family history. They didn't want to hear the stories. They didn't want to hear the Lord. They didn't want to see pictures. They wanted one thing. They wanted me to spit in a cup and send them $100. Because in the spit is the DNA, the ingredients of everything that you are. And they essentially said, if you will spit in a cup, we'll tell you your story. 
We'll tell you who you are. We'll tell you where you're from. And when Jesus went and spit in this man's eye, what he is saying is this. What is going to open your eyes to see something that you have never seen before is not your ability to try harder. It's not another seminar. It's not another, you know, it's, it's trying by the sweat of your brow to see. Because there are some things that are spiritually discerned. And he said, if you're going to see, I'm going to make this easy. I'm going to take out of my DNA and character and I'm going to spit it in your eye. And do you know when you got born again by the spirit of God, you got more than just a challenge to rehabilitate your life. You got the spit of an almighty God, the DNA and the nature of an almighty God in your I wish somebody would praise God today. When you got born again, you got everything that Jesus is in your spirit. Somebody say amen if you believe that. Everybody say he spit in the eye. Got to hurry, got to hurry, got to hurry. All right. Number three, he progressively refines our perspective to empower the heart of our mission. The Bible says he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. And then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. Now, here's what's interesting about this miracle. There is no other recorded miracle in the New Testament where Jesus had to pray twice. And so is it that his battery wasn't working that day? He was was half charged where Jesus prayed for the man. And he said, can you see anything? He said, it's kind of blurry. I see men like trees walking. I believe that the reason why this miracle was progressive is that God was trying to teach us something about how the process of spiritual sight so that God might spit in my spirit, if you will, in a moment once he only spit once, but he touched him again and again and again. And every time Jesus touched him, his eyes became clearer and clearer and clearer. Because there is an increasing, progressive perspective God wants to give us through intimacy. Number four was this. And here's where I wanted to get to. And I got one minute and 30 seconds. He makes us. Look up. That was not in the notes I sent yesterday. But I read that this morning and it exploded in my spirit. Here is this man that is blind. He's been taken to a new place. Jesus has spit in his eyes. He can somewhat see. Have you ever had a perspective or needed a perspective to be clearer in a situation? Jesus touched him again, but here's what I hadn't seen before. He touched him and made him look up. How often is our perspective limited? Because we have been so beaten down by circumstances. That even when Jesus spits in our eyes and touches our souls, something in us 
doesn't believe we're worthy to look up. Whether it is the child that has been abused, the child that now lives in the 45-year-old body, filled with potential and strength and empowerment. But anytime there's an opportunity to rise, the door is open, but they might not see the door because they have been trained to look down, to see life one footstep at a time. Is it interesting that the Bible says he saw men as trees? Because all he could see were the feet. He was only looking down. Here's where I wanted to get to. When he looked up, look at the passage. Look at the passage. Made him look up and he was <laughs> and saw everyone. When he looked up, he was restored. And when he was restored, he saw everyone clearly. When he looked up, he was restored. When he was restored, he saw everyone else the way that they should be seen. As long as he looked down, he couldn't see people like they needed to be. He couldn't discern life the way that it needed to be discerned because he, he was not, he was so broken. He needed to be restored. But when he looked up, I believe to the face of Jesus and he saw a God that had, listen, it was a God that had taken him by the hand, but he had not yet seen yet. But when he saw the face of Jesus, suddenly in that experience, he could look around and see everyone else clearly. There is a scripture in the book of Joel, and I think I put it in, in the passage here, in the book of Joel chapter 2, in the, in the notes rather. Joel chapter 2. Did I give that to you? Maybe I didn't. Joel chapter 2. I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. Everybody say restoration. Everybody say God is a restoring God. And so how many of you thank God that he is a forgiving God? But can I tell you, there's a place in God beyond forgiveness. Forgiveness clears my past. Restoration makes me ready for my future. God said that I will restore to you the years. I was years ago thinking about this passage. And as I was thinking about it, I heard God say to me, he said, notice that I didn't say I would restore things. I said I would restore the years. I uh, went and I have a law degree. In my first year of law school, we had a class on damages, contract damages. There is a concept in the law called expectation damages. It is, is essentially a contract's remedy that if someone were to break a contract, the award is not that they just receive restitution, what they've lost. The law says you have to put that breached party in the same position that they would have been had the contract not been breached. When I look at Joel chapter 2 and I consider this man in 
John chapter 8 and I think about us putting upon the helmet of salvation, I hear the Holy Spirit say, I don't just want you to think that I want to come and, and bring some things back into your life. I want to restore the years that were lost. So the Holy Spirit said to me a few years ago, he gave me a picture. He gave me a picture just for a second. Give me a picture. And he said, uh, he showed me a picture of someone who had lost their car. They lost their car. And when they lost their car, they lost their ability to drive. When they lost their ability to drive, they lost their ability to get to a place to make a living. When they lost their ability to make a living, they lost their ability to have a wage and take care of their family and have a home. And they lost certain things. And if you extrapolate that experience out for a number of years, you will see that at the end of that period of time, you can restore the car, but you, that doesn't restore everything that was lost. What you would really need to do is restore the expectation damages, if you will. You would restore the opportunities that they lost, that they were supposed to get had they had the car and had the job and had things in place. Does anybody hear what I'm talking about today? And the Lord said to me, he said, when mankind broke the covenant of obedience in the garden, he said, I lost mankind. The contract was broken. But when Jesus came and he died on that cross, he made a brand new covenant. And I've come not merely just to give you forgiveness. I've come to get back everything that you would have had, had the contract not been broken. Somebody say, amen. You say, what does that mean to me? I'm going to tell you this, like the prodigal son that went away and took his father's inheritance and he spent it on harlots and he lost what he would have had when he came home. All he thought was this, if only I could get back to the father's house and get become a servant in the father's house, that would be better than being in this hog pit. Many of us have prodigal mentalities when it comes to the things of God. We think if only I can get forgiveness, I'll be happy, but God would never use me. God would never bless me to the place that I, that I know I would have been blessed had I hadn't left home. But you know what that father said? He said, come here and shed some blood, bring a sacrifice because my son has returned today. And he put the ring back on his finger and the robe back on his back. You know what he did? He said, I'm going to restore the years. I'm going to make it as if this son had never left home. And the elder brother said, but you don't know what he said. I don't care what he did. This is my son. And when, listen, when Jesus restores us, it doesn't mean that we don't have to deal with things and mistakes we made in our life. But can I tell you, he's a God of grace. He's a God of empowerment. He can put your family back to the place that it would have been had the struggle never been there. He can put you back in a position of peace and joy and strength and calling because he restores years. Somebody say amen. You can play. Number five, I'm not going to preach this, but I'll throw it out there. He tells us, don't go back. The last thing Jesus said, he said, go home, but don't go back to town. So when we talk about putting on this helmet of salvation, thinking like God, seeing like God, if he ever shows you something, don't allow life to pull you back to the old town, the old way of thinking. Everybody say, keep the helmet on. Amen. Amen. What do we do next? <laughs> How much time do we have? Just stand with me if you will. Bryn's going to sing. Let's sing. Let's sing.
Your love 
comfortable for you, or maybe you just want to reach right up to heaven and say, I don't know what's happened in me today, but whatever it is you've been doing in me, God, I want to say yes to that. I want to say yes to opening up my heart to you. I want to say yes to opening up my eyes. Some way, just say to God, whatever it is you want to do in me, God, that is what I want to. Even if I know nothing about it, would you, God, would you, by your grace, continue the work that you've started in me? Maybe something just felt like it woke up or quickened or felt hungry or longing. And just say to God, God, would you just lead me here out of town? Would you just take my hand and lead me? right where you want me to go. And God, will you continue to reveal, let me keep seeing as I lift my head up, as I look up, see with your perspective. Allow the reality that I am a child of God in the DNA of God to live and move through me this week, that I would live like that ancestor, like I would live like that descendant. I would live like that. And God, would you help me to stand with this helmet now of salvation? Standing as a child of God, holy and dearly loved. And will you, God, make a public spectacle of the evil as you so desire, as I walk in freedom. God, will you lead me by the hand this week? And will you keep touching my mind and giving me greater and more clear perspective? Just say in your own words to God, maybe you just, all you know how to do is say is help. God, I need help. Just say help. Doesn't matter. You don't have to have the right words. Even this kind of a body prayer says, God, I want what you want. I surrender. And so, God, I bless my friends. Whether they they want to come up for prayer or they go home and they just keep being led, I bless them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That, God, that this word would be deposited in a way that increases in a good measure, pressed down, running over. Amen. Have a beautiful week, everybody. Matt and Bryn will be available to pray for you if you are so inclined. And otherwise, have a beautiful week.